1: Welcome to Practical Living with Dale O'Shield, Senior Pastor of Church of the Redeemer in Maryland. We pray that through this message, you will learn how to apply God's Word and truth to your life. Stay with us as we discover God's truths that will transform us. I'm going to
2: talk to you for the next several weeks about these three words. I want you to say them with me, tides, winds, and currents. Say it together, tides winds, and currents. I promise you, if you've ever been on a boat, you've ever been sailing, or on a, on a lake somewhere, a river somewhere, on the ocean somewhere, an end of a bay, you've realized that these three things have a lot to do with how comfortable you are in that vessel. Whether the tide is coming in or going out, or whether the wind is blowing strong, and it's a gale force wind, or a small craft advisory, or whatever the case might be, you feel those winds in that vessel, and certainly the currents will affect you also in terms of any kind of navigation you do on the water. And I'm here to tell you that in life, we're going to always face, on this journey of life, we're going to always face, in the, in, the, in the attempt to make progress in life, you're going to face these three things. Say them with me again. Tides, winds, and currents. That as you're going forth in your journey, I assure you that there are going to be some times that it feels like the tides of life are against you and there will be times you feel like you are flowing with the tides of life. There will be times when the wind doesn't seem to be blowing at all in your, your life journey. It seems like everything is going well. There'll be other times when gale force or hurricane force winds may be blowing. There'll be times when you're with the current and times when the current seems to be pushing against everything that you attempt to do. As I thought about these three terms, tides, winds, and currents, in terms of navigating life, my mind went to a very important biblical character, and his name is Daniel. Daniel was a man in the Old Testament who faced a significant amount of these three things, the tides, the winds, and the currents of life in different seasons of his life. And I want to give you a little bit of history about Daniel so you understand a bit of the setting of the story that we're going to dive in tonight about knowing where you're going in life and how these three elements affect that. But Daniel was, when we're first introduced to Daniel in the Bible, Daniel is about 17 years old. Think about that. He's just a mere teenager. 17 years of age. The year is approximately 605. B.C., somewhere around that time. And for an extensive period of time, Israel and Judah, by this time, the nation of Israel had been divided into two parts, the northern kingdom uh, called Israel, the southern kingdom called Judah, and Daniel lived in Judah. And throughout the years, the prophets had warned both Israel and Judah that they did not turn away from idolatry, they were going to be led away into captivity. And that happened to the northern kingdom. The, Israel, the, the nation of Israel was taken into captivity, captivity first by the Assyrians. And then after another extended period of time, as the prophets began to warn Judah, the small nation of Judah, that the same fate effaced them. If they did not change, they never repented. And then Babylon came in to capture them. And the king during that season of time for Babylon was a man by the name of Nebuchadnezzar. And the first thing that Nebuchadnezzar did is when he came down to capture Jerusalem in about 605 B.C., 605, 605 years before Christ was born approximately, as he comes down into Jerusalem, The first thing that he does, and it was not uncommon for kings to do this, but the first thing that he does is he finds all the the, the smart guys, the smart young talent in the land, and he takes them off into his territory. In this case, he takes them from Jerusalem, from Judah, and takes them into Babylon. And so when we first meet this man named Daniel... He's a young man, 17 years of age, and he's now been ripped out of his hometown, ripped away from his family, ripped away from everything that was familiar to him, and he's been placed in a very foreign environment, not just foreign in the sense of something uh, geographically different, but culturally different, but more importantly, spiritually different. Because the people of Babylon did not worship Jehovah God, and Daniel was a worshiper of God, as we will see as we go throughout this series. But Daniel was now placed in this environment where all the tides and all the winds and all the currents of culture, all the tides, all the winds, and all the currents spiritually were pushing against him. He was now the minority in the midst of a majority of people who were idolatrous. He was living in a culture that did not honor God. He was living in a culture surrounded by people who would not even give any level of respect to his own relationship with God. It sounds a bit like the world in which we live today, does it not? the kind of world that we we as Christians face from time to time. Hostility and difference from how we're wanting to pursue life. And for Daniel, the tides and the winds and the currents of culture and the tides and the winds and the currents of Babylonian idolatry and spirituality were pushing against his faith, his confidence in God. He was physically in Babylon, but he was very concerned that his heart not become a Babylonian heart. Wanted to make sure that he kept his relationship with God in the midst of, say these words again with me, the tides, the winds, and the the currents. In this series, we're going to talk about how he processed this and what lessons we learned from him. but. I want to start tonight by the orientation of Daniel's life because if you don't understand this part of Daniel, you'll not understand the rest of his story because we learn a lot about him in the very first chapter of the book. We learned something about this young man that showed us how he navigated the tides, the winds, and the currents. And I would submit to you as we're starting this series together that Daniel was able to navigate the tides and the winds and the currents of Babylon, this culture he was placed in because he knew where he was going. He had an orientation of his life that kept him on target. He knew where he needed to go with his life and nothing was going to push him off course. And I want to share with you for the next few moments things that I see in Daniel's life that are relative to our lives, that if you and I want to walk our way, live our way, sail our way through a culture that is contrary oftentimes to our faith in God and contrary to how we want to live our lives that push against us spiritually and push against us Culturally, how do we do this? How do we live this way? What are the lessons that Daniel will give us? And the first lesson is you need to know where you're going. Can I get a little amen right there? And I want to talk to you about how you know where you're going. And the first thing that is essential if you're going to navigate the tides and the winds and the currents by knowing where you're going is you got to choose your ending. If you don't know where you're going, don't be surprised if you end up in the wrong place. There's an old saying that some people approach life with ready, fire, aim. Instead of ready, aim, fire, it's ready, fire, aim. They just sort of get up and start moving somewhere in life and they never really think about where they're going. They never really think about what the end play is. Where do I want to end up with my life? And it's very obvious that Daniel knew exactly where he was going. He knew where he wanted his life to end up and that's why he was able to process the tides, the winds, and the currents Let's take a look at Daniel chapter 1. I'm going to read about six verses here. So bear with me as I set the stage reading the first six verses of the first chapter of Daniel. In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. We've already talked about that. And the Lord delivered Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand along with some of the articles from the temple of God. These he carried off to the temple of his God in Babylon. Notice that the temple of his what? God, little g there, in Babylonia, and put in the treasure of the house of his God. Then the king ordered Ashpenaz, chief of his court officials, to bring into the king's service some of the Israelites from the royal family and the nobility, young men without any physical defect, handsome, showing aptitude for every kind of learning. Well-informed, quick to understand, qualified to serve in the king's palace. He was to teach them the language and literature of the? Notice this. He was to do what to them? Teach them all about how to be what? Not a Jew. How to be a Babylonian. Okay to teach them the language and the literature of the Babylonians. The king assigned them a daily amount of food and wine from the king's table. They were to be trained for three years. After that, they were to enter the king's service. Among those who were chosen were some from Judah... Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Their names you will remember from perhaps Sunday school. But I want you to see that what was going on here is that Daniel was brought into this culture. And the whole idea was, we're going to take you, a Jew, who worships the Jehovah, the one and only Jehovah God. We're going to take you, and we're going to make a Babylonian out of you. We're going to teach you the language and the literature of a culture that does not acknowledge your God, but acknowledges another God or other gods, a a place of idolatry. And in fact, the way we're going to initiate you into this is we're going to make you start eating what we eat. And drinking what we drink. Now I don't have time to go into all the history of this. But to eat and drink as the Babylonians did. Oftentimes, in terms of drink. They would offer libations to their gods. Before they would drink of their drink. And they would certainly not have the kosher kind of food. That Daniel was familiar with and committed to. And so they are trying to do everything possible. Are you seeing there's a lot of tide. And a lot of wind. And a lot of current. Trying to push Daniel away from his commitment to God and to this idea, I I, I just need to be like everybody else. I just need to be like the Babylonians around me. I'm not in Judah anymore. I might as well just simply give in and be like them. So we have Daniel and Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego. These are four friends that will show up again in our study together. What was potentially this disorienting environment, though, really actually reveals to us something about Daniel, because I want to now to go to verse number eight, because by the time we get to verse eight, that's two verses later from where we stopped here, we see something very important about Daniel, I'm going to ask you to read this one together with me. If you can, read through your mask aloud and loudly. For those that are watching online, read where you are as well aloud with me. But Daniel, read together. But Daniel resolved not to defile himself with the royal food and wine. And he asked the chief official for permission not to defile himself in this way. Here, here are all the tides all the winds, all the currents of a Babylonian culture pushing against this 17-year-old young man trying to say, we're going to make you a Babylonian. It's just a matter of time. We're going to work on you for three years, but by the time we finish with you, you're going to forget that Jew thing. You're going to forget that commitment to Jehovah God. We're going to get all that out of you, and we're going to make you just like we are. We're going to make you one of us. You're going to be an idolater just like we are. And so all this pressure was pushing against Daniel, but the Bible says, well, what did Daniel do? Daniel resolved not to do what? Defile himself. Daniel made a decision, and the reason that Daniel made a decision is because Daniel knew where all of this would lead, and he wanted his life to end well. He didn't want to end this way. He wanted to end with his relationship with with God intact. He knew where he wanted his life to end up and he resolved that he was going to make sure that he stayed on the path that would get him where he needed to be in the end. One of the most important decisions that you and I will ever make in life, and you don't make it once, you make it multiple times in life. In in fact, oftentimes you make it every day, and sometimes you make it more than one one time a day. And that's the question, where do I want my life to end up? What I want the end story of my life to be where What am I going to resolve towards so that I get where I really need to be or stay away from that which I need to stay away from? Where do I want my life to end up? And I would submit to you this weekend that very question in your own life. Where where do you want your life to end up? Have you asked that question? What do you want it to be like when you come to the end of your life? What, What do you want your life to have said? What do you want to have done with your life? What message do you want to have communicated with your life? Do you want to go with the tides and the winds and the currents, uh, if if you will, the Babylonian push? Or are you wanting to resolve yourself to say, I don't want to defile myself in that way? Where do you want to end up in life? You know, Jesus talked a lot about this. He talked about where you want to end up. Listen to what he said. Matthew 7, verse 21. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on. What day is that? Well, we know it's the day when Jesus comes back again and all the judgment happens. But but let's just break it down a little further. That day is the day when this life for you is over with. There's going to be a that day for you. There's going to be a day that they're going to say, okay, on this day, such and such passed from this life to the next life. And there's going to be an end point. I've talked about it before on every tombstone. There's a birth date and there is a death date. Every tombstone uh, that, that, that is occupied, every grade that is occupied with a tombstone will have both of those dates. There is a that day for every one of us. Notice what Jesus said. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven, many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, do we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and in your name perform many miracles? Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you away from me, you evildoers. Does that bring a little bit of concern to your heart and life? It certainly does to mine when I read it. It makes me think I want to make sure that I know where I'm ending up. Amen? Take a look at this next passage. Matthew 25, his master replied. This is it. The, the wrapping up, if you will, of a, a point of accountability. He'd given his servants certain responsibilities. Some had done well, some had not. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. Well done. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. That's what I want to be doing for eternity. How about you? Okay. That's one of the greatest things As I think about the loss of my mom this year and I know what she's doing right now. She's sharing in her master's happiness because I know how she lived her life. I knew that she had faith in Jesus Christ and if you know someone who's passed on from this life to the next life as a follower of Jesus and they've lived their life and ended it well, then you know that the, that's, that's what's in store and so that's where we need to think about how our life is going to end. What are we resolving to be or do? For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. And whoever loses their life for me and for the gospel will save it. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world yet forfeit their soul? How many people are just just giving up their soul for all kind of stuff? People giving up their soul for money. People have given up their soul for fame. People are giving up their soul for all, for popularity. People are giving up their soul for stuff that doesn't matter in the end. What is it profit? What, is it, what good is it if someone gains the whole world and yet forfeits their soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? Daniel knew where he was going. I told you I've got to move along because I've got a lot to preach about. But uh, let's go to the next point, okay? Number two, you've got to choose the right source. Tides, winds, and currents. So you've got to know where you want to end, then you've got to make sure you got the right source. Let me explain what I mean by that. Your success in any destination is determined by the map you choose. If you don't know where you're going, you have to have the right map. If you're on a boat, those things are called chart plotters. Or charts that you use and they map out the different place. If you want to get from the Chesapeake Bay to New York Harbor, then you have to chart it out either electronically or get all those, uh, proper, uh, charts that are provided available for you through the government. You can take a look at all the different ways that you can travel, the depths of the water and the different channels that are there. You've got to know. The way to the destiny. You need some good charts and you need a good map or you'll never get there. And the same is true in life. It was true for Daniel. Daniel had some charts for his life. And the chart that Daniel had for his life was God's word. God's word was not just a book Daniel carried around with him. Daniel's chart was in his heart. Because he's taken into Babylon, and he's now in an, in a culture that, that that is now contrary to God, and he doesn't have his resources, his spiritual resources uh, of the temple with him any longer. But here's the beautiful thing. You can take him out of the temple, but you can't take the temple out of him. You can take him away from where the word is being taught, but you can't take the word out of him. Dear one, let me tell you something. If you get the word in you, it'll carry you through wherever you are. Whatever circumstance you might be in, but you got to get it in you, okay? Because you never know where you're going to end up in life, so you need this in you. You don't just, oh, where's my Bible? No, my my Bible, I hide God's word in my heart that I might not sin against him. Now, I've hidden a lot of God's word in my heart, and I've had some sins along the way, as everybody does, but I tell you what, it sure helps you stay away from it when the word of God is in your heart. Daniel had God's word in his heart. You could put him in Babylon, but you couldn't take the word. You can't take the word out of his heart. Are you with me? He had it inside of him. You've got to have this commitment. If you're going to make it, listen, dear ones, if you're going to make it in the world in which we're living today, I don't know that there's ever been a time in history when there's more of the tides and the winds and the currents trying to push us away from commitment to God. And if you're going to make it in the world in which we live today against those tides and winds and Babylonian currents that are coming against us, you need to hide God's word in your heart like you've never hidden it before. Let me give you things. You need to know about the Word of God and why you should hide it in your heart. These are going to be very, very fast. And so stay with me very, very, very attentively here. Number one, because it's truth. Amen. God's Word is truth. You don't need to build your life on a lie. You need to build your life on truth. Sanctify them. Jesus said this about Scripture. Sanctify them by truth. God, your Word is truth. Number two. It is perfect, pure, and precious. God's Word is perfect. God's Word is pure. God's Word is precious. The law of the Lord is perfect. Refreshing the soul. The statutes of the Lord are trustworthy. Making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right. Giving joy to the heart. The commandments of the Lord are radiant. Giving light to the eyes. The fear of the Lord is perfect. Pure, enduring forever. The decrees of the Lord are firm and all of them are righteous. They are more precious than gold, than much pure gold. They are sweeter than honey from the honeycomb. Number three, the third thing, it is reliable. You can count on God's word. It never fails. It never fails. It never fails. It never fails. Notice Joshua twenty one forty five. not one, not one of all the Lord's good promises to Israel failed. Every one was fulfilled. Can I get a hallelujah right there? Amen. Okay.
1: Perhaps as you have been listening to today's broadcast, you felt a stirring in your heart, something that reminded you that you need to get something right in your life with God. If you would like more information, please visit our website at church-redeemer.org. May God bless you and make you a blessing.